you have this unique disability, but everyone else has some sort of you know unique disability they're going through. And as a culture, we all try and hide our challenges. And we say, I'm normal, I fit in. But in reality, we're all unique in our own weird way. And I think living that and you know, showing that is what's important for you know world to really flourish and be comfortable with ourselves. This is for the others out there, the other ambitious people who want to play at a higher level in their life. It's time to get curious and get real. Join me, and together, let's find the others. Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Find the Others podcast. I am your host, Joshua Church. Grateful to have you with us. New episodes are dropping every Wednesday and Sunday, so be sure to hit the subscribe button so that you can get the notification when a new episode comes out. And give me a follow on Instagram at Joshua Dean Church to catch different clips and highlights that I post. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, you find something that might be valuable, please be sure to share it with a friend who also might be into it so that together we can continue to grow our tribe of others. Today, I'm excited to bring you a conversation I had with my pal, Joseph Reibel. Joe is a strategy consultant in the enterprise performance practice at Deloitte Consulting based in New York City. He focuses on operating model design and post-merger integration projects for Fortune 500 companies, which is a very fancy way of saying he is wicked smart, works with some very cool clients on some big projects. While he works uh, 60 to 80 hours a week at Deloitte, he's also an MBA candidate at the University of Michigan School of Business. Before starting in Michigan and before COVID hit, Joe was volunteering as a tutor and assistant coach at Bronx Lacrosse and as an MC at So Far Sounds in New York. We have a great conversation where we talk a lot about his mindset and way of operating as a high performer, his unique upbringing and family dynamic, the way that he thrives in the corporate environment, and the challenges of being diagnosed with severe ADHD and dyslexia in the second grade. I hope you enjoy this conversation with my buddy, Joe Reibel. Joseph. Josh. We are here, man. Oh, feels good. Yes. How are you feeling tonight, man? Really great. I think we had a great day today. Today was a good day, huh? I loved the Breathwork series we yeah. did. That was such a treat. Yeah. Breathing is dope. Breathing is dope. <laughs> Breathing is tight. You can get high <laughs> off your own energy. That's right. Um, That's right. We don't even need any serious drugs. We yeah. Go from Getting that. high off our own supply. It's pretty remarkable. Our body chemistry changes with every single breath we take and... We have the the power. We have the power in our in our control. Balls in our court. Yeah, it's a treat. <laughs> it is. How are you? Um, it's great to have you in person in San Diego. Yeah. How are you adjusting to the Southern California lifestyle? You've been out here for a bit now, huh? Yeah, it's it's been about three and a half weeks, which is crazy to think about. Close now tomorrow, but I've loved every minute of it. Nice. Loved here in San Diego. Love my time in LA. That's been a treat. But I think. And the highlight of the whole thing is it's been able to step away from what's going on back home and being out there. Yeah. And I mean, you've got a you've got a lot going on right now. You're an East Coast boy. I'm not selling you as hard on San Diego right now. I know you'll end up here. <laughs> 
as all my friends know, the saying goes, all roads lead to San Diego. So you're 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 on a road that just detours a little bit more through the East Coast before you before we route you back to San Diego. Manhattan to San Diego is quite the trip. Um, we'll have to finagle that road pretty hard. Uh, Manhattan Beach. <laughs> getting a little bit closer. <sighs> Not exactly, <laughs> but you've uh, you've got a lot going on in your life right now, my friend. You're uh, so you're still you're working full time and you're doing a full time MBA, right? Yes, you're, sir. You're full time MBA student right now yeah. at um, some small school in Michigan. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> school the, up north. <laughs> go blue, baby. <laughs> yeah. yeah so that's tell me about that. North. How's that? How's that process been? It's um, you know, a bit tumultuous. It's been a bit of tumultuous year. I think this whole time for all of us has been rough but i think it's been a busy time to say the least if i had to throw yeah. in one raid one yeah. phrase what's so what was the draw i know you business school was something you were considering for a while you were kind of in and out with it yeah. you finally decided hey i'm gonna do this thing what was the decision around that process and, and how's the adjustment been to business school so far yeah the um just around the process was timing i think the timing of it was really good for me giving the opportunity to accelerate my career faster while i'm working at deloitte consulting able to kind of rise that corporate ladder a bit quicker the sooner I got that MBA. Yeah. So I was in a rush to kind of get it done and do it now. Um, and I think the big decision and timing around it was kind of perfect and enabled me to continue work, continue yeah. having an income stream at Deloitte while being able to juggle my MBA at Michigan. And I'm doing a lot of it virtually. So that's been a perfect kind of storm where people say, you know, COVID has been a rough time. And I do believe it's been a rough time for for me and a lot of different people. But from work and school perspective, it kind of came into this perfect blessing. Yeah. W would you be in Ann Arbor right now, though? Would you be in in person? Or do you feel like yeah. you're missing out on a lot of value from business school by just doing classes virtually? Yeah. I mean, if we if world was you know flowing again without any um, sort of virtual life in front of us and COVID didn't occur, I probably would be either at Northwestern, um, in person, Chicago or Michigan and Ann Arbor. So mm -hmm. not working, um, getting that, you know, full-time student experience, but it also being a fair amount of debt, uh, wouldn't have an income stream coming in. Right. I think, you know, your question about the network, I feel like I'm getting that. And I think the way we're doing it is a bit different versus a lot of my friends that go to business school and they're getting these experiences at happy hours in person. And it's really the quantity of folks are coming in. They're talking to, 50 people and a lot of those conversations are small talk. What we've been doing is a lot of, you know, individualized sessions, talking to people one-on-one -on -one for 45 minutes on a Zoom call. Right. And I feel like those relationships get a bit stronger than the guy I chatted with last week at the happy hour and ran into in finance class uh, and, you know, still making small talk. I feel like there's a bit of a quality over quantity conversation perspective yeah. in the network. Definitely. Does it does it shift the way you think about like the value of what you're investing into your education? Because I can imagine if I'm going to grad school, like there's a ton of resources out there that you can get for cheaper or yeah. for free online right now. I mean, obviously, I know that there's some stuff as being a part of a certain university's network, being a part of their alumni network. Like there's an inherent value that is worth some some investment. But where do you where do you rank that in the virtual world? Because I feel like it, it it forces you to really starkly identify the almost the price tag for your textbooks in a way, right? Like how sure. much you're paying for it. Yeah, what is this worth, right? And like, can you really put a dollar figure on that? Well, Michigan can with one hundred fifty thousand dollars <laughs> tuition. Um, but right when you think about what you're getting out of it, 
even though you know this virtual life we're living in, it's it's still you know the brand and pristine of the the University of Michigan. You still get the relevance of an amazing you know education uh, at the graduate level in business, which is a treat, mm-hmm. um, and that's something that I've always been interested in. And I think you know someone who's always been wanting to continue and work in the classroom that's been a beautiful blessing. And I think to continue that path, uh, the network and the alumni connections you can make at one of the largest institutions in the country is quite a blessing. I think that the University of Michigan has more living alumni than any other university really? in the country. Really? Is that right? Yeah. Wow. So that's what's exciting for yeah. you know, a potential MBA student I'm looking at. Who are, you know, Who is in that alumni network? Where are they? Uh, how many people are there? enables you to kind of establish connections all throughout the world, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Something that's always, you know, that's always inspired me about you and what you've done. I mean, you, you made a tough decision to not go play lacrosse in college. You had an opportunity and you decided to go to Miami of Ohio where you got, you got a scholarship there. Is that right? And you, you really paid your way through. Yeah. Right. Tell me a little bit about that. That's something that I've always admired about you is your ability to like, because I know if Joe Rybel is making that $150,000 investment into Michigan for his MBA, like, He's thinking that through and he sees that there is an ROI positive potential for this. Yeah. So that's why it's, it's really interesting to me you do that. Can you talk a bit more about your experience around like taking ownership of yourself, your finances and really paying and paving the path for yourself? Sure. I think I'll pause right there real quick too. I, yeah. I am not throwing $150,000 of my own money at that. Fortunately, I'm able to have sponsorship through Deloitte um, and I'm able to have some scholarships. So like Excellent. it makes it a little bit better, but I am still throwing a lot of money out there. Right. So that, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. a bit of a tough ball game. Um, do you really want to go and play this much money to get, you know, business degree? And what do you get after that? Right. It's like you get to play college lacrosse for a couple of years and, you know, you get to live that dream of playing under the lights or whatever that is. But what do you get at the end of that? You end up having a pretty substantial line of debt and um, you get a business degree where you could get a pretty good business degree somewhere else where you don't have to play lacrosse. Mm. So having that conversation at a young age um, really kind of invited me to look at other options, but I was so late to the process where there really wasn't many opportunities in my hand. So quickly applied to OSU uh, in Miami from Columbus, Ohio and and DC. So I had the opportunity to kind of look at the schools around where I went to school uh, Mm -hmm. in high school and it was like between those two, Miami gave me a pretty good scholarship and Mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to, they had a club lacrosse team I could play on if I pleased and had that opportunity to kind of continue my education and then could graduate pretty quick through Miami too, which was appealing for me when I'm paying for it. Um, don't have to you know take as much loans out, can kind of travel with you, which we ended up doing, <laughs> yep. retreat. Um, so that was a big appeal for me on, on Miami and, and not going down that college NCA route. Yeah, I mean, total total parallel paths there, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's like a seemingly, when you look back, it's a seemingly big decision, but you know, the time you're like, okay, yeah, I guess so. Not this. Let's go. Let's go here. Yeah. And I, I wish I would have had a whiteboard at the time and I would have like, you know, <laughs> had the, the foresight to draw out like a journey map of, of this happens and we'll go over here if that happens and this is what happens. But, you know, I didn't have that foresight. <laughs> <laughs> you you are a very strategic thinker. I mean, right. You do you do consulting yeah. uh, for some some really big companies and big corporations through Deloitte. And, um, and through just you, that's, that's how, like, how your mind kind of works, right? It's like, you're very strategically oriented thinking, like you think through things a lot. Was that something that you feel like you developed? Is that something you feel like you've had a combination of both perhaps influence through people in your life? Yeah. That's tough to answer. I feel like 
you know, we all naturally have that within us. And I think if you are invited in, in a world where you get the chance to challenge your beliefs and thought processes and put yourself in, you know, situations where you need to be critically thinking throughout the day or throughout your life, it pushes you to think more strategic. Um, and, you know, perspective of an adolescent and putting yourself in situations or be, you know, not putting yourself in, you having to be in situations where you have to think strategically and kind of invites you to, to be in that thought process. So, I, you know, it's, it's a tough question to answer. I think I would throw it out as a combination of the two of, mm -hmm. you know, having a thought process in that strategic frame. And I think we all have it um, and being forced to it in certain points of my adolescence to even as a you know young adult, where to be geographically, that's a you know, strategic decision to yeah. what job should I take? That's a strategic decision to should I drink this beer and mm -hmm. you know go out tonight versus not those are all strategic decisions we're all making strategic yes, decisions. yes yes but and i'm sure people listening right now are thinking like yeah but that's not the default way that a lot of people think or operate and, and i feel like that's that i've seen as a thread through your life i mean when you called me up and you're like hey man i'm gonna be in new zealand you know this spring semester which was what was our senior year and yeah. you had graduated early you were finishing up early and i was doing my thing yeah and and uh, you're like we should meet up and Southeast Asia and then I'm like I'm gonna be in Asia actually that time so let's make it happen yeah but like just like I mean from the travel to like the with the strategic you know thread through your life and how you're able to approach and solve problems from if it's health and wellness to decision to do dry January or not like all these things I find is is, is really really fascinating sure I think the biggest theme there would be like logic right and applying mm. logic to everything we do and I think that's probably rooted from coming from parents or lawyers lawyers are you know naturally thinking right. in logical thought processes and that's probably the framework that my um family instilled in me in an early age and that's probably why i take you know the decision of going to new zealand calling up josh and being like hey buddy hey buddy <laughs> you want to meet up in the <laughs> sea and get after it so you know it just depends um I think on that upbringing probably played a, a role to continue that theme throughout throughout my life. T tell me a bit more about your upbringing because I know that you had a, a really unique set of circumstances and a unique upbringing that has you know shaped who you are today. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. You know, a unique background. I think I came from a non nuclear family, as a lot of us do. Um, you know, not the nuclear family. You know, we have an idea of it, but I think it's ever changing. So my my parents actually produced me on a, on a whim on a night out and uh love love them for it or else i wouldn't be here so <laughs> shout out to that um, shout out to that out, game of pool shout out, out to that night. yeah my, my parents met over a game of pool so a lot of love to that um i'm not good at pool uh, <laughs> but was at a, a point where um my mom had a child and she wasn't entirely sure how she was going to go about this and had the opportunity to kind of live with some different people throughout my life um, a little bit and kicked that off actually in D.C. where I was born, uh, stayed with some family uh, there and then transitioned over to Columbus where I was with my grandparents for a little while and was with my mom sporadically um, and then would go in and out of D.C. and Columbus for a while mm -hmm. and then kind of rooted myself in Columbus at an earlier age. At, at what, what point would you feel, did you say, would you say you like rooted yourself back in Columbus? It really felt probably more like kindergarten I was there, but I was still kind of going to D.C. Yeah. every once in a while. So it was really hard to say when it was like sedimentary. Yeah. You know, I'm actually here um, in and out of schools at certain points. And it was just kind of a, a unique process. But um 
you were, I mean, you were, you were forced to be independent from a young age then, right? You were really forced to, uh, you know, to, to really be that independent person for yourself. Yeah. And I think that probably goes to like decision-making of like, do I want to live here or there where fortunately enough I had options, right? right. And like there right. was certain influence in my life that, that gave me that ability to kind of bounce between, um, that I, you know, probably just looked at who had the most ice cream in the, the freezer and was like, that's, that looks pretty good. <laughs> like, yeah. I think I'll go over there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was a pretty cool, you know, experience between Columbus and DC. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, your, your godfather, Dana, seems like he's played an amazing role in your life as, as that father figure to you. Can you speak a little bit about the 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 importance that you found in having him as a father figure with the absence of your biological father yeah um you know given that my biological father um was not in the picture i from able, from the get-go from the get-go, from the get-go. um so he was involved but was a, a negative influence in my life as a alcoholic um as a man who was dependent on a lot of people for a lot of different things he, he was not a, a you know good male fatherly figure right so fortunately enough i think what's you know the non-nuclear household is common in a lot of different places it invites for people to step in and make a positive influence and that's something where i was super fortunate to have my godfather dana step in um and not just dana his wife marilena and the three younger brothers that i feel like i I have uh, another Mm. family with that so i think it probably kicked off even when you know you're a kid and you have your favorite toy um and apparently I did not like stuffed animals as a kid, but mm. I was given this bear that Dana and Marilena gave me on their wedding night when I was super sick. And this bear I like kept with me everywhere I, I went, um, all the way to second grade when I was getting made fun of for carrying this bear with me. Yes, I love Slept that. Slept with that thing through like middle school. Well, nice. <laughs> keep that low key. <laughs> but I think having that positive, you know, male influence in my life without, you know, really having that in the household in Ohio enabled it pushed me to become a man, you know, it taught me how to shave, how to ride a bike, how to function mm. as, you know, how to treat women correctly, how to um, really do every positive male influence that I needed and mm. continuously need and we all need throughout our lives. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, common that we have a single parent household. Um, and I feel like I was fortunate enough to have someone step in and, you know, play that other half that mm. my mom really needed. Yeah. Do you, do you want to have kids? Did, did, did your relationship with your father shape, you know, influence your decision? Yeah, I think, you know, being, coming from that background, it really makes you appreciate the opportunity to influence someone else's lives positively. So it pushes me now to give back the way that I was, you know, fortunately brought into someone's life i would love to multiply that Mm. whether that be you know formally adopting someone whether that be you know mentoring and bringing in multiple people into my household whatever that is um i'm not sure what it looks like exactly but i definitely aspire to be like that and honestly i I respect you know your your dad and and rachel in that situation is very similar to the one that i had and Mm. i think you can relate to and i think your family can relate to my situation because of that and i think that's what's like a lot of love there for everything you know you have going on in your house, and I think it's similar to what I can feel like was happening in my childhood and adolescence upbringing. So I would love to have children and and hopefully you know make a positive influence not just on maybe my own you know 
for the lean kind of upbringing yeah. of children or whether that be someone else's, whether that be formally adopting, whatever that is, I would love to. Excellent. Very, that's, that's really cool to hear that because I, I could see that going other, uh, any other way. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I really, you know, it's, it's a try, it takes a village. It's, it's a tribe. It's no a, doubt. it's a community effort. And I love that. And that's so much about what our family has, has been. It's like, you know, we grew up with aunts and uncles and other, you know, role models and figures that so many people we called aunt and uncle that were just family friends or godparents, right? That that we spent time with, that we stayed with when we needed to, yeah. that when our parents were going through things or needed or needed, were going away, right? Like we, it takes a village and that as, as humans, that's what we're designed. Like we are designed, like we are tribal beings yeah. <laughs> and we need that human connection and that connectivity in that tribe it, it really does take a village so I, it, it makes sense to me and you're like yeah cool like your biological father wasn't there so you had your godfather was able to step in and like you are totally eternally grateful for that and and have gotten those essential things because of having that male role model yeah, absolutely and you know it wasn't just them it was you know the ability of shouts out to will byers and his family you know mm -hmm. to like bring me back from soccer practice and like all the lacrosse practices and like every you know sort of event that you know a single parent was working couldn't really help out for it yeah and you yeah. know it as it takes a village you know it really is the whole community that you know helps and upbrings and lifts kids i feel yeah. like which is pretty <sighs> remarkable when you think about it it really is so i i want to talk about something you referenced earlier which is like a decision around business school to help progress you on your path to help you rise up the corporate ladder even quicker. I'm really curious because I think you're someone that is like you're in the corporate world and you're yeah. climbing that corporate ladder as you referred to, which I want to kind of just talk about. Sure. And I feel like you're doing it with with intention and purpose while you're doing it. Can you tell me a little bit about what your what your you know what your vision is for that? What your goals, aspirations? How you how you strategically are thinking about your evolution in your career? Yeah, um, I took a class at Miami that really probably shifted that. My junior year business fundamentals. Um, you'd have been invited to apply. The class was ridiculously pretentious, but it really <laughs> really did invite the um, thought process that you need to be thinking about. You know, from a career standpoint, that I try to instill. Um, in the planning process, whether that be in a year, five years, 10 years down the road. And I think for me and where I'm you know, flirting with the ideas of are looking at just climbing the ladder I'm in right now uh, to enable me to climb another ladder or be on the top or start a new ladder later on. Mm. So I think the fundamentals I'm getting right now, you know, as a consultant at Deloitte is I think, you know, some of the best you can get in business, um, having the opportunity exposure to all these different industries and different functions, whether that be Supply chain, operations, finance, IT, HR, um, you know, you get those at your fingertips in consulting. And I think what's cool about Deloitte um, is, you know, they give you that exposure and a flexible role if, you know, you are a strategy consultant. Um, my goal with the business school is partially to rise up the, the ladder to senior consultant in the next role, but faster. Um, and I'll get that a year quicker with an MBA. Mm. So that was some of the thought process, of, you know, of getting to a senior consultant level within um, strategy, enterprise performance. And then after that, I'll be on a quicker path to manager. After that, I can kind of, you know, go anywhere I want was my thought process. And I believe that having that manager ability to get the exposure of selling projects and being on the sales pursuit, as well as managing teams that are delivering the work, that's kind of the role that I want to get the most experience for. So then, you know, down the road, I'd like to actually continue in the professional services space, but more in something 
bit more passionate about rather than some of the other projects I've been a part of. Mm -hmm. um, something that I truly believe in and I want to get more engaged within human capital and really influencing the way people work and evolving cultures within organizations. And I think that, you know, my trajectory, if as long as I can continue down the strategy consulting path, hopefully focus more of that mm -hmm. energy on a day to day towards human capital and really workforce transformation into, uh, you know, boutique type of consulting service firm. Maybe I create that myself or maybe, you know, I, I really have that opportunity at another company. That yeah. would probably be the goal in the next, you know, couple of years. But I think that strategy and framework was really instilled out of those classes. I had to build a five-year plan and I've actually stuck true to that five-year plan wow. today, which is wild to, you know, say about. Um, but I think, you know, we're around New Year's Eve right now and people are doing a lot of self-reflection. I think if you can actually, you know, continue to set goals and check in with those routinely, it really enables you to kind of check in, you know, maybe at a, a weekly, monthly, daily, yearly, whatever that is. And I think, you know, that's something I've always gone forward to the process of is checking in with myself annually, monthly, um, yeah. sometimes daily if, you know, something I really got to focus on. Do you, do you feel like you're in a corporate rat race? No. Fortunately, I feel like I have the ability to make a decision of, do I want to do this project? Do I not want to do this project? What projects are available? Um, after a couple of years of consulting, you may not just get on the first project that you, comes available. You can actually, you know, play an influence in what work you want to be doing, what industry you want to be doing, who you want to be working with geographically, where is that? Yeah. And that's something that kind of takes some time and some tenure to, you know, really get done and get in there. But after some time, you really can make an influence on the project. So because of that, I don't feel like I'm stuck, you know, running down this, this path that I don't really control. Yeah, that's really, that's really interesting. I, I wonder, cause you know, there's so many people that they're the corporate dropouts, right? The people that leave and I'm, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, you see it all the time. And what I find is that there's a lot of this mentality of the grass is greener and and there's a lot of mentality of just like you know i i i hate this so i'm gonna quit my job when i found that it's not the job that you hate it's how you're showing up to the world yeah it's like it's not because quitting that job is not gonna i thought i quit my job because i was like i don't i don't want like i don't see a future here so like i don't like this i don't like quit my job thinking that i was gonna the, the, that was gonna be the end of it but no it just it, it shows up and follows you to everywhere else you go until you actually turn and deal with why and you take that level deeper so it's, it's really interesting to me yeah no it, i think there's a lot of people i feel like that you know look at the opposition of what they're doing right now on a day-to-day -day basis and saying i'd love to do what that is and then there's vice versa of you know i'm in consulting and i look at entrepreneurs and i'm saying wow you you get your own schedule. Right. <laughs> like, and, and that sounds amazing. I would love to, you know, not be barreled down in um, the influences of things that I don't really control. But as an entrepreneur, I can really make an influence on in what they want to do. I get some autonomy in what I'm doing and I get that impact and influence of the, the work. But a lot of it is only from a handful of options. So I'm almost going back on what I said earlier where, you know, I do get uh, the ability to be my own kind of, Menti mentor focus of what mm -hmm. I want to do, but a lot of it's uh, out of my control too. In the same way, because it's like you have a certain lanes, roads you can go down, yeah, and you don't get uh, too much of a decision outside of your your roads that you can. You have like five different paths, and you can kind of pick those paths, but you can't kind of steer too far out. Yeah, it's entrepreneurs. You got to create whatever you please, and I look at that. I think that's pretty cool. And I have some friends who are entrepreneurs who are saying. 
man, you get a structured <laughs> lifestyle, yeah, exactly. bro. Like day to day. You have a consistent paycheck. You know that you're going to get a paycheck at the end of this month and you know the amount so you can plan accordingly. And I'm like, well, I'd love to, you know, I work really hard this week. I should get some more commission. Like right. something like that. Right. Be, you know, it, it totally is. I, I, I can't tell you how many like, you know, entrepreneurs I've talked to, starting entrepreneurs that I've worked with or talked to who, who just like, you know, the idea of like just going and working at a cafe. Or just like going, you know, it'd be so nice to just go into an office, have someone tell you what to do and just do it, turn the computer off, come home and like relax and enjoy. And it's it's such this funny thing to look at like the dichotomy of it in both sides. And I've I've experienced both sides as well. And, you know, I've landed where, you know, I I really appreciate it's a combination like the ultimate freedom comes from discipline, like Mm -hmm. is what the way that I really see it. And it's that combination. So if you can get. And if you can have that structure and that freedom as an entrepreneur, great. If you can have that structure and that freedom in an amazing company with wonderful resources where there's a growth trajectory for you, yeah. then great too. But it's it's more of like looking at what qualities or what values are important to you and where can you go align with those things versus like, oh, I don't want to be in the corporate world or oh, like the entrepreneurship thing is not for me. But it goes right to our like you asked about like strategy, vision setting of, of you know, goals and, and missions of what you want to do and why you want to go there. But it's really like the why, right? I think that's what you're hammering home is like, why do you do what you do? Where do you do what you do? And, and you know, how you go about it. I think that's what we all need to be thinking about more is like actually think about what are we doing and why are we doing it from a day-to-day basis, like on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis. And then that should really influence, you know, your goals and your vision setting down the road. And I think you're hammering that home. Absolutely. That's really, uh, really interesting. And I love, I love hearing your acknowledgement of that and seeing how you're strategizing that, right? And seeing your role and relationship with it. But it shifts, right? It's not just- How has it shifted for you? I mean, there's been times where I've been like, I really love what I'm doing so far sounds. I would love to just drop everything I'm doing and go in the music world. And then I've had conversations with people I'm like, hey, Joe, that doesn't really make any sense. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that was so ridiculous. And you think about why I was doing it. It's like, well, I really like music. Everyone likes music. <laughs> and I really like, you know, digital service platforms. And I, I think I was, you know, trying to spin why I liked it, but it really wasn't the authentic why mm. and, and really didn't spend enough time on flushing that out and how I was going to get there, you know, where that was going to be. It didn't really, you know, seem logical to go down that path. So taking that, you know, kind of reflecting more on that and seeing, all right, well, it actually makes more sense to go down the, you know, continue the consulting path, professional services, keeping that route going is something that actually makes more sense for me while continuing with so far having fun on the weekends with them. Right. And, and you also don't know how, you also don't know how continuing down the path that you're on right now can lead to opportunities in the future. Like we're oftentimes so short-sighted yeah. where it's like, I mean, dude, who knows where you're going to be in 25 years from now? The, the connections that you're making now, the things, the conversations you're having, the experience you're getting, it all like it all changes so quickly. Like when I was having the conversation with my dad on this podcast, you know, he was he was he was floored thinking about the, like he could never have predicted getting into the natural food and beverage space. Yeah, like it's a, I mean, he's a Cleveland McDonald's eating flip flop wearing like <laughs> like, you know, dude from yeah. Cleveland, Ohio. And to the fact that he, you know, started the Suja Juice and one of the nation's top leading cold pressed juice brands is insane. Coming from a background, going to MBA, going to get a business school and having a background in construction products and building products like yeah. it's insane. So I look at that as inspiring to me because we don't know what's going to happen when we're 50, 60 years old. Like we're oftentimes so short-sighted and we see like 
I like music, so I want to stop this path that I'm on right now and go pivot to this completely. Or I don't like my job, so I'm going to quit my job where we don't know how it continue to develop. And just because we don't like where we're at right now doesn't mean that we can't change and it won't change as the opportunities present themselves. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, to anyone out there that's thinking about this, it's really investing the time and having the conversations with people that can influence you and getting a diverse opinion. Like I had a conversation with Greg who signed John Mayer and he was a Northwestern MBA professor that I was, you know, looking at going to school at the time and had a conversation with him around, you know, do I want to go down this path and having, you know, pretty candid conversation with him. He was like, no, absolutely not. You know what? There's like one of you every five years that gets to MBA and wants to go down this, you know, kind of path. And it really doesn't make any logical sense. And that's where we're kind of struggling with decisions that we make. We often don't get a diversity of opinion. Yeah. We, we get, you know, one friend's opinion, if that, and like, okay, yeah, like Josh, you agree with it. I'm going to go for it. And I think the more people you talk to and the more influences you can get, really kind of shape, you know, who you are, why you do something and um, where you can kind of take it. Sounds a lot like strategy consulting. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. No, I think that's a really valuable point. Yeah. Where do you balance or reconcile this, uh, this idea of, yeah, I get the whole logical thing, but also some decisions you make aren't always going to make the most logical sense. Also balancing that idea of trusting your gut, following your intuition. Yeah. And I think humans are naturally think through that process right because we know we should eat healthy that's like the logical strategic thing to do but often you know we go to mcdonald's like you mentioned about your dad yeah um i think that's you know the heart of of human beings we have to find that balance of what makes sense for us what is logical but also what is our instincts Mm. and i think that's the most difficult part of you know the the balance is, is really having the motivation to continue with what you maybe think is logical, what you think is right for you versus also fulfilling your, you know, natural native intrinsic instincts that want to keep you flowing towards something else uh, or that you may want to do or, you know, the ability to <laughs> jump off a bridge butt naked because it sounds like an absolute blast uh, into a beautiful body of water. Like, I think there's, you know, that's not a logical thing, but you know, I did that in Arizona and loved it. But like, you know, you're not always logical. You have to kind of balance the, those two. How do you, I, I totally agree. How do you, how do you find the balance of those two? Or how do you balance those two? Because I see you balance those two in a pretty remarkable way that I don't see a lot of people balance those two. I, you know, I don't think about it uh, too much. I think it's probably a creature of habit. Um, just given this time, having the ability to kind of do what you need to, um, whether it be in work, the classroom, uh, volunteer work, uh, family relationships, but also, you know, taking care of yourself. And I'm someone who likes to get out there and have a fun time. And I think you have to be able to kind of find that balance of what your own fun mm-hmm. is and also get, you know, the daily work that you need to get done and plan for the work ahead and, and reflect on the previous work that you've done. Yeah. Um, I think Nur Iwal does a great job in this book indistractable it's not a plug i'm not sponsored by him i I I think this is just a great book um you know it says something around you know planning and preparing and um actually in the lines of living a happy life may sometimes be pain management things that we don't want to do yeah and um not to get 
down, you know, is life really <laughs> happy or sad? But, you know, you do have some sad parts we got to plan for. It's not the most fun, but it does enable you to maybe live a happier life down the road. And I think that's where, you know, I try to kind of balance it too. Money. And, and I know travel is something that's been important to you. Do you yeah. find a lot of balance in that as well? Yeah, I think, you know, given the countries we've gone to together, um, whether that be Indonesia, Vietnam, Thailand, uh, you know, any anywhere else that we've we've been, I think that's a big joyous you know opportunity to kind of get out of your comfort zone and get that diversity perspective that we talked about of whether that be of cultures, food, uh, <laughs> you know, opinions on on anything. Um, but that exposure really has opened my eyes up to a lot of different philosophies that I try and stay true to, and some of those you know experiences have kind of shifted and will always and continue to shift who I am. So I always push myself and my friends to get out there and you know get an exposure to a different environment different place yeah big time um the um the thing i wanted to talk to you about is the uh, energy you've got a lot of energy before as we were recording this podcast yeah there you go you got you've got your rowdy energy uh, drink right there uh, as we were before we were recording this podcast you were like do I have to sit down the whole time? Can I like stand up and pace around or something? Do some push ups before and after to get the energy flowing? Or do you have ADD or ADHD? Is yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so I, I was uh, diagnosed with ADHD in second grade. Um, in second grade? Second grade. What? Yeah. Tell me, uh, what? Yeah. Um, Prescribed? Not, yep. So uh, it was actually one of the first test monkeys of my uh, pediatrician on Adderall. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, 30 milligrams XR to a second grader, which was what I've kind of continued shit. taking throughout my life, which is a really, really aggressive uh, prescription. Adderall doesn't go much higher than 30 uh, in the extended release. So it was maxed out on that. I do have a lot of energy. I, uh, it is hard for me to sit here. I do want to jump up and down. Um, <laughs> so, you know, with, with that being said, though, I think energy, you know, Sponsored by Rowdy. Um, yeah, keep, no, it just keeps me going. I, I think, you know, I don't know how to else describe it. I'm an energized person. Yeah, which I love about you. And and I found I find that, you know, you 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 find these different ways, whether it's through physicality, whether it's through conversation, you find different ways to channel that. Are you still taking Adderall or are you still on that prescription actively? So I've gone through a, a myriad of different beliefs and philosophies yeah, with, where, where with this with stimulant drug. I mean, since taking it since second grade. Um Given the fact that I was an adolescent, you know, I was kind of forced to take it breakfast every day. And then I got to college. Um, and then it was really that sophomore year when we were kind of all living together that I was like, maybe I'm not going to take this and, and you know, see, see what happens. Stimulants are, you know, we don't know the, the long-term results of Adderall, Vyvanse, uh, Concerta, Stratera. Those are the four main uh, ADHD and ADD prescription pills prescribed to teens and adults and children. And I think those four, we don't know the long-term side effects of them. And there are certainly side effects. I'm not as hungry when I'm on it. I don't sleep well. I yeah. am not really emotional. You can tell me the worst thing in the world would happen. I'd shrug it off on Adderall. So it doesn't really enable you to be yourself. So I was kind of noticing sophomore year, you know, I kind of really wanted to just see what happened without it. I, I stopped taking it sophomore year of college, which was interesting on and off that I would kind of take it as needed, whether that be, you know, finals or, you know, a lot of work to do, whatever that was, I would kind of go on and off it. Um, but I think a lot of people, you know, are prescribed this drug in America and almost overprescribed because, you know, we're naturally so ADHD right. given all of the tools we have and, and right. distractions we have. And I think that's like one of the hardest things is I've you know, got back into school now and I've been on and off Adderall again. 
And I think the heart of it is really being indistractable. And how do you make sure you don't have all these distractions and buzzes going? Because if you are on Adderall and you know you kind of phase out everything else, whatever you have to focus on, you have the ability to actually you know focus on what you need to get done. And I think that's something that we have naturally within us. If we can limit the other distractions outside of the world, whether that be turning off your phone when you need to focus on an assignment or get some work done for a few hours and also mimicking and turning off the notifications on your you know, email and your computer and maybe even hopping off Wi-Fi to write that essay, whatever it is that you have to get done, but really limiting distractions for me during COVID. It's been my mom barging in my room or her turning off the Wi-Fi accidentally. Um, there's been a myriad of different you know, kind of distractions there. But I think, you know, the energy of uh, an ADHD person is 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 kind of challenging to uh, to limit. Yeah, a blessing and a curse, man, right? It's it's yeah. it's a beautiful I mean, it's a beautiful source of energy that I feel like when you can when you channel it the right way and through the right things, then, you know, you I mean, you see the results that happen. And, you know, and it is things where there are times when you definitely it's helpful sure. to, to have to, to be able to have some medication to be able to help you with but that's in as a second grader like that that seems crazy to me what, what how do you feel about that i was pretty upset that my mom welcomed that test drug um on oh your mom too i'm shocked about that yeah right this raging liberal uh natural kind of energy spiritual woman was welcoming a, a stimulant in the same chemical family as crack cocaine onto her second grader right that's shocking when you think about a logical thinker like would yeah you know, she really believe in that thought process uh of giving a second grader you know the highest milligram of an untested drug so she did it um i was kind of upset as a you know the more i get older but i also understand that i was diagnosed with not just adhd but dyslexia reading comprehension issues my grades in the classroom you know were, were terrible the principal at my elementary school said we'll be shocked if joe makes it past middle school but you know he'll do he'll be fine um and I think for her, she was just looking for any solution to kind of combat this. And there was, you know, an idea or, or some sort of resolution. So she took a risk on it. And looking back on it, I am, you know, happy she did. Um, I wouldn't have changed that if I did have any control over that. And I'm happy mm. she, you know, pushed forward on taking a, a drug that's in the same chemical family as speed and crack and cocaine. Yeah. But it was definitely a risky, risky move on her part. Yeah, that's fascinating to me. And, the the dyslexia tell me about tell me more about being diagnosed with dyslexia at that young age how did that shift things for you was that challenging growing up and how does that play a role today sure yeah definitely still relevant i mean i, I mix up eight and b constantly uh there's a handful of letters and numbers nine six b q uh d all kind of blur together in my mind yeah um or go back and forth on the other one so it's it's a difficult thing to still manage but after being diagnosed in second grade you kind of build habits and characteristics and kind of can get around it um and strategies of you know solutions to kind of not have to read as much um so because of that i think in second grade it was tough because someone is super energized we get a lot of going to recess and i didn't get to go to recess i had to focus on like reading comprehension and going to special tutors to focus on this so maybe i'm so hyper because i never got recess as a kid past <laughs> second grade like and in those it's tough because socially you know that's those are the bondings that you have with with some of your friends uh whether it be through middle school uh in high school still needing to go to 
support uh, of reading um, and writing to kind of combat this this disability. Wild. And you've come a long way from that. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely should write that elementary principle. <laughs> you should. Um, no, I think I have to, you know, I think it's a big shout to um, the support system around me, you know, whether that be Dana, my mom, um, a lot of other great figures in my life to kind of make that happen and, you know, give me the support I needed throughout my life within reading and writing. And, and now it's something I, I love audiobooks. And I actually kind of like reading. I, I read slow and it takes me a while, but I enjoy the, I enjoy the process. Yeah. Did you, did you internalize that when you were a kid? Like, did you internalize, I have like dyslexia and my principal's telling me that I, you know, won't make it past middle school. Like, did you internalize that or is that something you found out past the fact? I, I found that out later. Okay. Um, it did hit home once I learned about it. Um, but I, you know, I think the hardest part was probably just socially not being able to go and, you know, yeah. play Pokemon on the, you know, <laughs> any recess or, or go play kickball or, you know, whatever we wanted to go do. That was, that was difficult socially and felt like an outlier. And I honestly hit it for, my whole childhood um and as long as i could without sharing it with folks yeah really and and then you started when did you start sharing it when you were in high school college yeah um honestly after college after college yeah uh something that a lot of my close friends may not know um interesting yeah it's something that why is that why why is it something that you just felt ashamed of is it something that you felt you know it was just too personal why i'm just just curious yeah i think naturally we're um if you are, I think there's a psychological component as, you know, a young adolescent in second grade who can't go to recess, you, you know, something's up and you're kind of embarrassed by that. And you, you know, you want to be normal, you want to fit in, you want to go to recess. And that probably continued going through college when, you know, you couldn't really tell a difference. I was still kind of coming out and open about that. And it really was when I connected with the person who diagnosed me. Dr. Guy, who um, I reconnected with after college and thanked him for, for diagnosing me. And continuously, I got tested again a couple of years ago, still have dyslexia, still have reading comprehension, still have ADHD um, issues. And he, you know, we kind of had a conversation around this and he really pushed me to be my authentic self with it and not hide it. Um, that's something down the road I'd love to, you know, get more involved within volunteering within those spaces. But I think we all are, are different in our own ways. And I think that's what kind of pushed me to recognize that Dr. Guy was saying, you know, you have this unique disability, but everyone else has some sort of, you know, unique disability they're going through. And as a culture, we all try and hide our challenges. And we say, you know, I'm normal, I fit in, but in reality, we're all unique in our own weird way. And I think living that and you know, showing that is what's important for, you know, world to really flourish and be comfortable with ourselves. And that's what I really was pushed to do through Dr. Guy, who, you know, is seeing dyslexic folks all the time. He really pushed me to be, you know, a dyslexic person in the in the society of the world. Love that. Shout out to Dr. Guy. I know, right? He's Big snaps for Dr. Guy out there, which, you know, you, you would think is not the the voice that's coming from the medical field, right? right? But yeah. that's, you know, that, that's, that, that, that really makes me happy to hear that Dr. Guy was there to give your influence because it, it's not, it, be, it doesn't become a disability, then it becomes a unique ability that's yeah. just unique. It doesn't have to be a disability, right? It can be something that you can own that's unique and, and, and you understand what that uniqueness means. Yeah. And I think inviting that, you know, 
mentor-like figure is like, you know, Richard Branson has dyslexia. Yeah. And a lot of these, you know, you want to get into business, business leaders go through this. And actually, a lot of them are you know somewhat successful maybe because of that. They learn how to delegate faster. They learn how to kind of get around problem-solving solutions because they've struggled with reading their whole lives. Yeah. And I think that's something that, you know, really inspired me to kind of you know, push that uh, a bit more and promote it. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, bro. That's yeah. big time. That's, yeah. that's really, really big time. Does does it feel like do does it feel different when you share that now? Do you do you do you enjoy sharing that to potentially inspire people, or is it just is it something that still feels nerve wracking when you share that or you dive into that that part yeah. of your story? It's um, I think sharing any sort of disability is is always nerve wracking, um, vulnerable, and that's what yeah. you know the insecurity point you know comes yeah. in. I think. I do not love, you know, sharing that. Um, I haven't shared it with my employer. I haven't shared it with Michigan. They they actually do not know, which is maybe they wouldn't have let me in. Maybe they wouldn't <laughs> let me in. Maybe I should have written about that in my right. application or, or essays. I just think that it's something where um, I can function in the real world without sharing it. So I've continued to. Doesn't define you. It doesn't have to define you. It doesn't. But you know, there's definitely maybe some advantages I would get if I. I did focus on it. Maybe there's other people that would connect with it. Maybe there's yeah. some sort of, you know, benefits to promoting it. Um, well, you're talking about it now and I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. And I think that other people will definitely appreciate that as well because it does take courage. Yeah, I think we all need to be our authentic selves and like, you know, show what we may have great or what, you know, maybe a challenge and, and you know, promote that. I think that's a, I, that's an essential quality of being a, Human. <laughs> a human being, right? An yeah. evolved human being, an evolving, empowered human being. For sure. And it's something we were talking about earlier in the hot tub around the idea of like, you know, the idea of masculinity. And Ooh. when we were talking about crying and allowing our emotions to flow through, we were talking about last, hey, what was the last time you cried? And we were both sharing times, you know, within the last month or two of last times when we actually cried. And and I, I just thought it was so funny. Um, and, and thinking about the, you know, the, the the role that that idea of like you know you know men you know, like we're supposed to suppress our emotions we're not supposed to feel those things we're we're not supposed to show our emotions it shows weakness i remember the first time i saw my dad cry was when my grandma passed away his mom when i yeah i was i was young i was in kindergarten it's the funniest thing because i have this memory it, it stuck with me because i was like oh my god like i've never seen him cry before right sure. this is the first time I, I seen him cry and then i went to school the next day and i remember this as a kindergartner i have this memory because <laughs> i was telling one of my classmates i said yeah like i saw my dad cry for the first time she's like no that you must have been dreaming that because like dads don't cry yeah like and, and i was like wow maybe i was no i definitely saw him crying yeah. but it's this it's like this funny thing <laughs> wild i mean i think that's probably a critical moment in your adolescence where you're yeah. probably like maybe it's okay if I do this, right? Because right. that male paternal figure was, you know, expressing themselves appropriately um, as one should be crying when the parent dies. If you don't, yeah, it's not natural, right? You're not expressing yourself appropriately. And I think, I don't know, the emotional f kind of impact we all have naturally, we often are told to suppress and hide. I think that's what you're hammering home here, Josh, is like, you know, dads don't cry, right. men don't tear up. Um, I think that's, you know, some of those like norms of society are not really natural and are not going back to like your authentic being and mm. being who you really are and showing who you are and acting how you, you know, really feel. I think our generation's done a great job in stepping up and yeah expressing themselves how they really feel right because I, I think the place we landed was that 
the it's it comes to the different definition of strength like absolutely we, we were talking about the idea of men don't show emotion or you shouldn't cry shows weakness yep and we almost see it i certainly see it as like the opposite where it's like you know if you if you if you do if you aren't honest with yourself and willing because it takes massive strength to be able to allow that emotion like the you know the little kid with the quivering chin and yeah. it takes strength to be able to like allow yourself give yourself permission to feel the emotion and what happens every time after you allow that to happen you feel great you feel fine you feel it move through you as we were talking about like you literally feel like relief yeah relief is uh, emotions are just energy in motion and when yep. we suppress them they get stuck into our body so allowing them to move freely as they're designed to do yeah uh, that that is strength to me do what wh what are your thoughts on on that and on the the idea of masculinity and this evolving version of masculinity from from your experience i think it's all perspective right and i think i, I fully agree with you as we talked about earlier um it, it's really not natural for men to cry or if you grew up with children uh or, or paternal figures in the house that were crying um, maybe you're going to welcome that in a bit more because you had the perspective of it as a child to see your dad cry. So you're going to be, you know, in a mindset where I can comfortably cry. Um, I think it goes to, you know, in, in my household, um, it was often do not show emotion. Uh, mm. People do not, lawyers typically do not express themselves because in a courtroom they're supposed to not, you know, be, a, be kind of straight face. Yeah. So I, I kind of carried that throughout my life and it really was, um, as I got older, I just started to express myself more. And I, I think it all goes to a larger conversation of, I hope that, you know, the male, female, transgender, whatever, you know, sex image changes over time to really welcome that emotion into a part of our, our daily life. If you're upset, you should be upset. If you are sad, you should be sad. If you're you know, happy, you should be happy. And I, I just want people to be able to feel comfortable in whatever skin they are in to act as they emotionally feel like they should. And I think what's the, you know, unhealthy concern is when you often suppress that and yeah. hold that in, then it's built up all of this negative or very positive energy that needs to be released. And there's that mental side of it. Mm. And if you don't, you know, release that appropriate energy, then you're probably built up in a lot of different unhealthy lights. Yeah, you have to find a way to to help to release it in a productive manner, obviously, because we can't be like, oh, I'm pissed off. I'm going to go punch the first person I see walking down the side of the street or release yeah. or act act from that emotion. But how can we how can we consciously channel that and allow ourselves to feel that and release that emotion in productive ways like you talked about running right yeah you received some tough news and you sprinted and you ran like the fastest mile time that you've ever yeah. ran. yeah and i think it's i think it's you know we talked about anger and expressing that emotion i think that's something where that's probably an emotion and sadness that often if are not expressed appropriately probably have the most negative ramifications mm, big time like big time finding that appropriate physical and mental outlet spiritually as well needs to be, you know, kind of planned out with your thought process. Like when am I, you know, when I get mad, I need to go punch a pillow and run the fastest mile and I need to, you know, focus on my breath work or whatever that is that you have that outlet to be. You need to think about it. Yeah. I think that's what something goes, goes into like planning, preparation. You know, you're going to get angry at some point in your life. How are you going to release it? How are you going to be sad? Are you going to cry? Or are you just going to hold it in and be a man? <laughs> What's a man anyways, <laughs> right? Like, I don't know.
Well, Joe, I feel tremendously happy right now as we're sitting having this conversation. It's been wonderful having you in uh, in San Diego, and I want to give you congratulations because you have made it a full hour sitting down without having my, my leg has been shaking <laughs> this whole time, like both of my legs. I love it, bro. Wow. I love you and your energy that you bring to this world, and the path that you're on is unfolding as it's unfolding. I know it's it's just. It's a beautiful thing to witness. Um, it's inspiring to see how you are able to be such a productive, contributing person in the roles that you do play in in climbing this corporate ladder, in being the student and being able to show up and invest in the relationships and have fun along the way and, and really take ownership of your path in that authentic way. So thank you for that. And uh, it's a pleasure, brother. Love you, bro. Uh, let's go eat some pizza. Let's go. <laughs>